Welcome back to A3's Total Athlete Podcast. I'm Ryan Beckwith. I'm Reggie Bolton. And I'm Carl Ferreira. Today, we're going to touch on mindset of the athlete and really how to get there. One of the things that is on the wall at A3 is how you do one thing is how you do everything. And unless you understand the meaning behind that, it it may just kind of look like words on a wall, not really mean a whole lot to you. And many times that is a, a learned behavior subconsciously when we are talking about last episode of how we default to the negative many times subconsciously. And then that spills into everything that we do that when nerves happen, as an example, we're about to play in a competition or we have a tryout or we have a test and we get butterflies. Well, those butterflies cause us to subconsciously start to doubt ourselves because we're defaulting to the negative. In order to change that, we've got to understand, well, what are those? Well, we have a fight or flight system that goes on and adrenaline is entering into the body, dopamine's happening, and all of a sudden there's a strange feeling. But if we understand, and coach, I'm going to ask you to dive into this about left and right brain, but when we understand to dive into the flow side of it, which is where the adrenaline lies and allows us to be superior compared to our general selves, if we don't understand that concept, then we end up making mistakes mentally because we're not prepared for it. Yeah. And I think that's a really important aspect as we dive into what it means to have a championship mindset on a daily basis, not just when we have to go to practice, not just when there's a competition. Every single day when you wake up, every single day we've got to get to a point where that positive self-talk is paramount to everything that we do and everything that we do. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so here's the athlete, right? Athlete tells us they want to be successful. So yes. we, we got to give every athlete credit. They show up. Yep. Okay. So here are, they're, they're committed. They show up. I'm going to push back and go, that's the minimum. Okay. So I got students that show up every single day for class. That's the minimum. Athletes show up every day for practice. That's the minimum. Now, work backwards. Where are you going? So I teach five primary mental skills. Number one, goals. Number two, self-talk. Number three, visualization. Number four, energy, because it takes a massive amount of energy. And number five, the space between. So where are we headed, right? So we begin backwards. Look at our phones. Our phones have a GPS on them. What do we do with that? We put the destination. So crystallize yourself with where you're going, work backwards to know um, what, you know, how do I want to perform on game day, then work backwards, what do I have to do in practice in order to become that on game day. And that's, for me, the critical component. So we, we touched earlier in the previous podcast on preparation for practice, okay? We, we meditate every day, prior to practice. We read a performance script. We visualize, then we focus, and boom, away we go. I want my team to look like an Olympic rowing team that's in sync and in rhythm. So there's no part of it that, okay, I want interfering. Now, boom, once practice starts, we touched earlier, uh, you know, there's training, practicing, and performance. So depending on the phase of you know, practices we're in, that's going to determine my type of feedback. Okay. But 
let's go to the performing part because that's, you know, I want to play great on game day. We were talking uh, about there's this left brain, there's right brain. Left brain is, you know, where I think, where I analyze. Right brain is, you know, flow, where it's the present moment. Or let's call left brain self one and let's call right brain self two. So self one wants to overpower self two all the time with this thing called ego or this thing called I'm addicted to being right. <laughs> so I take some action, self two, right brain. I take some action. All of that information now goes to uh, the left brain. And in the left brain, I have my knowledge. I have my experience. I also have my opinions and my judgment about what I just saw. So now here comes the feedback. Boom. So the feedback from the left is interfering with the feedback from the right. Now, that's really, really good if you're in the training stage with your team, but it's not really good if you're in the performance stage for an athlete. So I would say the highest amount of repetitions that an athlete has received has come from judgment and opinion, and so they don't know how to really be in flow because that's the least amount of reps they've ever received. Absolutely. So I want to just, as a coach, you just got to know how they need to operate on game day. But you also need to know how to prepare them for game day. And then you got to know how to prepare them to practice and, and when to flip the switch and how many reps they need. And all of that's just this art of being in the, you know, in the arena and practicing and knowing. So I think coaches... I would say every single coach needs a pat on the back because it's hard work. Very hard. You know, yeah, so no doubt. It, it takes a lot of commitment and effort to, you know, to show up with a plan every day and help these athletes. But I also think you have to be a little bit more curious to know that there's more information out there that's available yeah. that you can help them succeed on game day. Well, one of the things that I like to get athletes to understand and really what you're saying, I would like the coaches to, to have some credence to is when we go to practice. So let's say we have a two hour practice. Well, that athlete in most cases has been awake for a minimum of 16 hours, some longer because they don't sleep as much because they're busy with school, work, whatever. But 16 hours they're awake. Well, we get them for two. And that may not be, unless you're at the collegiate level, that may not be every day. So now when we start looking at an entire week and I get to spend on a practice anywhere between eight and 10 hours with them, but they're awake 16 a day. Well, what happens during those other times of the day when we're not around to give them the positive affirmations? Are we teaching them techniques like you've talked about when they wake up, when they start feeling certain things, do they know how to talk themselves out of it? That's where, in my opinion, an elite level coach should be really interacting of the skill aspect of it. But this, again, this shouldn't be saved for the elite level. This shouldn't be saved for the collegiate and the pros and on in the Olympic level and all that. This needs to be spilled into the seven-year-olds and the 10-year-olds and the 12-year-olds of how to positively go through everything that they do. And, and I can speak from experience of in the track and field world, the best coaches I've ever seen, 
don't say a whole lot during meet days. They don't say much at all. They're very calm. They don't yell. If somebody's hurtling, high jumping, pole vaulting, whatever, athlete will walk up to them and they'll just say, yeah, you got to get your hands up a little bit faster. The pole didn't go down at the right speed. You got to work on that rhythm of working through it and give them a cue of what you've been working on at practice. Not an overarching thing of the whole picture. Give them the one cue that makes them go, oh yeah. But it's always calm. It's not yelling. And then you'll see the other coaches that are just screaming <laughs> about what they need to do. And they're going through this entire process of the jump or the hurdle or the whatever. And you just watch the athlete crumble. Yeah, you, you can't. And that's that whole left brain, right brain. Yeah, that's right. the whole self one. And, and that's the ego of trying to tell self two what to do. Right. You can't change it in the middle of a competition. Nope. So you have to, again, you have to know what, what training cycle you're in. Where yeah. am I? What's the competition? How many days do I have preceding that? Uh, I, and again, I would say if I could go back and apologize to all the teams that <laughs> I coached beforehand, because <laughs> <Me too. laughs> I would say, golly, I didn't know that I was interfering mm -hmm. with performance. But yeah. Now, realistically, when I look back, I go, I think I was ruining performance more than they were because I was keeping them off schedule by yeah. giving all of this overcoaching feedback. Yeah. So coaching and feedback should happen in practice. Yeah. Uh, and that's all this left brain. You got to give some time before the competition to do what I call right brain training. Yeah which is we just, it's all flow. Yeah. And you got to teach yourself as a coach to give absolutely no feedback to what just happened. Now, can you give a cue like you mentioned? Absolutely. They can absorb a cue right. and, and still be able to perform. So different sports, different ways to get the cue. Um, but the bottom line is you got to start from the game. Yeah. Start from performance. Start from... I don't want to interfere with that. So, and I think most coaches, because I used to be that way, we start from content mm -hmm. and I'm just going to give, you know, technical, 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 fundamental, fundamental. And then somehow we think that's going to magically transfer and their minds are magically going to transfer. So the day before competition, and this is what I used to do the day before competition, we're training, 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 training. And you're like, ah. so yeah. we show up at the game and you're going, I don't understand. Right. Yesterday <laughs> when we were in practice, we were, ah. right. And, and that's, <laughs> that'll never work. Yeah. Uh, and I can speak from experience. So um, I think what the younger coaches need is just an understanding of the, the neurology of how the learner learns and how the learner needs to transfer that information and how we interfere with that. So it's an art, yeah. um, but don't interfere with the kid. Let the kid be a kid. Let the kid utilize their talent and skill to the highest level of their ability without us interfering. And I like what you said. I think the best coaches they do their coaching in practice mm -hmm. and they let the performers perform on game day. And you find ways to communicate those cues. And from my own personal example, like, like you said, when I was a young coach, man, I was intense. Like I, I was intense, <laughs> but I was an intense as an athlete, you know, and, and it took me a long time. Like we talked about in the previous podcast, I mean, it might take five, 10 years to figure some of this stuff out. And it took me a long time to realize 
that not everybody thinks the way I think, right. <laughs> you know, not everybody approaches every situation the way I do. I thrive under pressure and I like, I'm an intense person. And a lot of times that gets misconstrued of what I am saying. And I have had to learn as an older coach to calm down because I get excited. I get really pumped up. And sometimes that makes people nervous because like, oh my gosh, he's nervous. No, I'm not nervous. I'm excited. But I have to learn to calm down. And I didn't even learn that from a coach until I was about 29. He's 29, 30, my decathlon coach in hurdling. He would always say he wanted me to create with my lead leg going over the hurdle. So my, my lead knee, my opposite rib, my opposite elbow, he wanted me to create a triangle. Because that would make sure that my arm position was in the right position, that my knee drive was proper, and I had a little bit of a lean going into this hurdle. And so on a race day, he would just say, every single hurdle is a new race. You don't look five hurdles down the track. Every hurdle is a new race. Even though they're only 13 meters apart, or no, that's wrong, 8.5 meters, whatever. <laughs> I need to look at a chart. But anyway, the whole point was they're really close. We're talking about three steps here. But at the same time, it's a new race every single time. And he would just look at me and go, triangle. That's it. That's all he had to say. And I knew exactly what he was talking about. And I knew exactly the feeling that I had to have going into each hurdle. And that changed me as a coach because it was one of those like mind blowing things, you know, those, those light shattering things like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's that easy. And it allowed me, like you're saying, to get into that flow a couple of days before the meets that I would be able to just do it. And then he would do the same thing in the pole vault or the javelin. And he would just give me these little nuggets to think about. And it would make the whole thing explode in my head. And I would feel calmer yeah, because yeah. of it. You know, and we, we talked about in the last podcast, the disruption of the schedule of an athlete. And I talked to coach a lot. This helped me change my perspective when we looked at, when I looked at practice um, and you talk about giving feedback. And one of the things that I learned to st- to do and train myself so I wouldn't do it in a game situation is when we were in team, full team drills, and this was a shock to the coaches because we always go back to default. This is what we've learned. Mm -hmm. This is what every coach I've ever played for did is we would yell and scream why teams were in complete flow when they're playing against each other. Yeah. Yeah. And then what I did as a coach is I, you know, after we talked, I'm like, we're disrupting our schedule of our players right in the middle when they're trying to train flow. Yeah. And I start telling the coaches, nobody talks to a single player. We give this, we give the signal. They make the play. I don't care what happened. We go to the next play. And I would just remind all, go to the next play. And every time I saw a coach yelling at a player, I go, go to the next play. Go, and I tell the players, come off the field, go to the next play. Go to, so talk about, because I think there is time in practice where you give feedback. But then when they're in that flow, you shouldn't be giving feedback. You have that's where you train yourself as a coach and you allow your athletes to train that you're just playing like you would play. And I want to add something to that before you answer this, because I think what I'm I'm thinking the same thing you are, but I'm going to say it a, a little different because obviously that's how we all think. Right. We all think a little bit differently. But exactly what you're saying is that we're at that point when we do that. And I used to be one of those coaches that I'm interfering with their ability to be self-positive. Mm hmm that I am teaching them that when they're reacting, it's not good enough. Right. And I have hindsight to look at the entire system of what we're learning and go, you're not doing that right. You got to make sure you, and I'm doing it in a well-meaning way, but yet it comes off. Cause again, it goes back to the ego thing, right? 
sit back, relax, understand that the athlete is the most important thing here. The way right. they think about the situation is the most important situation. Calm down, let them think through it, and we can address it later. Yeah, so it's really hard. Yeah. What we're all trying to do is we're trying to get an athlete to do what they can't do by themselves. Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, there we, we're basically all of us are trying to change behavior. You know, they do this. We see that incorrectly. We give feedback. Boom. You know, we want to change the behavior. So to your point, Reggie, you know, if you look at block training, right, practices are very block training oriented, meaning, you know, we do progression, progression, progression. Mm -hmm. And then towards the end, we do the whole. Right. So in the progression phase, when you're giving, you have to give feedback. Right. I mean, that's the only way we're going to change that behavior. So progression, feedback, feedback, feedback. Then we get to the whole. The whole meaning now we take all these positional groups and now we're going to get to putting it all together. If when we're in that positional uh, group together, and we're still giving feedback, 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 feedback. What's the highest amount of repetitions that an athlete receives? It's all left brain. Right. So yeah. now they become judgmental about their own performance. Mm -hmm. So either the we're keeping you off schedule or you keep yourself off schedule. So what I'm proposing is going, if they receive the highest amount of repetitions, that's always judgmental and off schedule. How are they supposed to ever miraculously get the right brain? Right. Yeah. And they're and when that happens, right. you're detraining the flow. Yeah. Right. So that's this next for me. I see every coach, they don't get to phase three. Yeah. Right. And yeah, yeah. Phase three would be stop giving feedback. Right. And Re Reggie, I remember our conversations <laughs> like it was yesterday. Yeah. Because you had that aha moment look on your face and you went back to your laboratory of the practice field and you're you know and that's the only way coaches do it you got to go explore and experiment and do mm -hmm. something different and then you saw a different result right and that's that's the best feedback right there when you go huh i gave feedback i changed their behavior then when it was time to perform in the the block training progression i got out of the way and i helped the other coaches get out of the way right that that's what athletes need for right brain. And I know for, for me in my gym, it, listen, it took me a long time. I've been coaching for over 30 years, but I honestly feel I'm a better coach now than I've ever been because I know crystal clear how to give the feedback, but how to get out of the way and never enter in, never interfere with their right brain ability to play. Mm -hmm. And I think what gets, misunderstood a lot of times is when we're watching professional sports on TV and you're watching the U S open just happened. Right. And you're watching somebody, you know, default on a serve. And then the next very next one that they have a chance to serve, it's an ACE. And you hear an announcer say, Oh my gosh, they're just such a short memory right. on the court. No, 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 no. That's a skill. That's a skill. That's a skill. That is a skill that they have been taught. Yeah. Yes. And, Unfortunately, again, that gets saved for the higher levels that you have people go off to college or they end up luckily becoming pros because of their hard work and their dedication and you know genetic gifts in many cases. 
And then sometimes there's people that have come through a program like yours that changes everything, like systematically changes their brain that now gives them an opportunity to compete with the best of the best because they can mentally handle what's about to happen. Mm -hmm. That that flow is on and it allows them to have the quote unquote short memory when a mistake happens. That the, the greats that we watch on TV are the ones that can just move on. Yeah. And and stay in the present to be able to perform. Yeah. So let me just use volleyball as a, as a brief example. So if we play one set to 25 points and we win 25-20, we played 45 possessions. 45 times the referee blew the whistle start, blew the whistle to the rally end. And after every single time the rally ended, there was a space between before the next whistle. So we win certain amount of points, the opponent makes certain amount of errors, and they make mistakes and we make mistakes. Out of everything that goes on, there's only one thing that gets us off schedule, and that's mistakes. When we score the point and do things well, we can move on to the next play. When you make an error and we make a point, we go on to the next play. When I make the error, is the only time. So of those 45 possessions, you're only talking about six to eight. So that, and that's all I'm proposing to my team, six to eight times per match after these mistakes, we need to acquire the skill to learn how to move on. And it's in a learned skill mm-hmm. together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that that's what we do. Right. Now there's mistake rituals we can work on. Okay. There's, you know, language, there's little, little habits of, you know, some people just, you know, like these girls, maybe if you see them pull their hair tied, that would right. mean, you know, that would mean the next play. Um, and we have a thing, it's a little thing in volleyball, we call it a two, four, two. So if you watch, as soon as that rally ends, we take two big steps into a circle. And in the circle, we have four seconds, two big steps in four sec, four seconds, two big steps out. After those four seconds, there's zero conversation about the last play. The only conversation now is about the next play. Well, we got to practice that. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Absolutely. And we got to practice. And so we're not practicing, you know, the the celebration side of it. That's just human nature. You right. score a point, something great happens, massive celebration. The only time we get off schedule is after a mistake. So you go. That's pretty critical. Yeah. And why do I want my teammate off schedule and I'm still on schedule? Reggie made the mistake. I didn't. So he's he's off schedule, but I'm ready to play. And you go, ah, I have what I call the 60% rule. Six players on the floor, four of the six have to be in sync and in rhythm every play, every day. And we can we can have a little buffer yeah. to you know, to somebody, you know, losing focus or this or that. And and then we'll just bring you back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's got to flow. And that's, that's a key. And that's a great point. I think, you know, as parents and as coaches, a lot of times we are trying to help create perfection. We're trying to eliminate the mistakes that maybe we've made in the past. And then we are as an, as an ego 
saying, look, I know you need to listen to me. Let me show you how to do it. But yet we're not practicing the skill of making the mistake and how to come out of it. Mm -hmm. All we're trying to do is create perfection a lot of times as coaches. And that becomes the biggest hurdle that our athletes have to overcome because they're afraid that all this time we spent all this stuff we've done and I'm not perfect now. Oh my gosh, I can't perform to the level I need to. Ah, and then mistakes continue to happen because we have not prepared them mentally to move on, to stay present, that mistakes are going to happen. But can we stay present in what we're trying to accomplish here? Because like you said, what's the end goal that we're trying to accomplish here? Yeah. It, it, so it's definitely a, um, definitely takes time. But if you are doing it from day one, yeah, you know, meaning it's now part of my coaching portfolio. It's not a uh, it's not a one-time conversation. Right. It's it's fertilizer every single day, watering the plant every single day. It's, we breathe. We use mental skills. Our thoughts are always in conversation. So I can't separate one from the other. Right. And so even when I was the head coach at the University of Oregon, I did not have the skills that I'm talking about today. Right. It I acquired it post uh, University of Oregon. So now it's available. Everybody has to be curious. Parents should be curious. Yes. Coaches should be curious. Athletes should be curious. It's not a conversation that's uh, not available. So the same way you're getting your repetitions for technical skills, you, the same way you should be getting repetitions for mental skills. I was totally about to just say mm -hmm. that like it's equal parts yep right you have to understand the x's and o's and the skill of the sport you're playing you got to make sure the tool the body is ready to play for those skills and x's and o's and you have to be ready mentally on a daily basis all day every day to be your most positive self and those are all equal parts that has to be developed yeah and you won't you wouldn't do it the other way you wouldn't go to a mental trainer and learn all of these performance psychology tools and get so good at it and never learn the content. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I, don't, I don't know how to dribble. I don't know how to serve. Well, what do you mean? Right. Uh, yeah, but I'm really good at the mental skills. Right. So what it's the last one that we acquired, no doubt. Yeah. So all of my players, the highest level that they can do is content. Yeah. The craft. That's the best thing they do. The second, they're getting their body up to speed. Right. And then third is is the mind so but when the mind catches up you're talking about all of a sudden i'm now performing at the highest level closest to my potential that i've ever had absolutely huge that's a huge conversation it that, was that that's needs that's that's <laughs> a huge huge elite level conversation that everybody needs to be incorporating into their daily lives thank you guys that was yeah. awesome thank you thank you Right. in those moments there's one other aspect i want you to touch on coach that we talked a lot of we talk about uh, um that and i think this helps athletes understand um you talked a little bit about in the preparation getting them ready to practice getting their mindsets but i also think it can help coaches is that you talk about the concept that that we all every single day we wake up we go back to default and we have to make a conscious effort to tell ourselves we're not going to continue to go back in default. We're going to get better every single day. 
Can you expand, talk a little bit about that concept of the mind going into default and then us pulling ourselves out of it saying, no, I'm not going into default. I know that I do this every single day, but I'm going to be better today than I was yesterday. Yeah, so if you look at where we sit today, right? So we're, we're just significantly better now than we were when we were 18. Okay, so you're, you're going, well, how long did it take you to get better? <laughs> took, you know, it took a long time with a lot of training. So for me, the three stages of coaching, number one, it's imitative. Okay, why are you coaching the way you're coaching in the beginning, right? Well, I'm mm -hmm. coaching the way I'm coaching because that's how I was coached. Okay, so that could take five to ten years. The second tier of coaching is philosophy. You, you now start to see the game how you see the game. So I'm tweaking my own philosophy based on not how I learned it from my coaches, but how I see it. Well, that could take five to ten years. So now I could be coaching for 10 to 20. Well, and the third phase is the mastery phase where you master your own philosophy. And that could take five to 10 years. Well, now you're 20 to 30 years in, and now right. you're exhausted. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Right. So what we're talking about is how can you get the young kids to let them be young kids, but also enjoy the experience at a higher level right. sooner so to you know really to answer your question the mind it doesn't care uh what you give it it's like the aladdin lamp if you think something your wish is my command so right. you think the wrong thing your wish is my command. You're going to go there. <laughs> you think the right thing. Your wish is my command. You're going to go there. Well, when you study the mind, you go, why do we have what's called a negativity bias? Okay, so the negative is way more powerful than the positive. So I'm going to give you positive feedback. You, you know, Coach Reggie, you did a great job. And I'm, I say 20 positive things to you, and it feels really good. And Reggie's going, yeah, Coach likes me. I say one thing that's a little constructive, and you, that's the only thing you remember. Right. Okay? So the mind is more prone to have a reaction to the negative. Now, that's me saying it to you. Now, what I've also studied is if you say it to yourself, it's ten times worse than if I say it to you. Mm -hmm. So self-talk. Okay? Um, I'm not that good. You know, and, and we, we have these little masks we put on. Hey, how you doing today? Fine. But I don't see the inner dialogue. Remember, you're in conversation with you way more than your coach is in conversation with you or your parents are in conversation with you. So we've got to teach these kids how to have better conversations with themselves. 100%. And this is the mental health issue. It's not from the outside in. It's from the inside out. I agree. Okay. So now you go, I, I, I got to have you have these conversations. So we start early in the day. I'm teaching my team a morning routine. I, I show them every great video I can on a morning routine. I show them all the who does these morning routines from Navy SEALs to elite athletes right on down the line. And then we come up with this routine of which they also write their own morning affirmation script. Wake up every day. Uh, if you understand how the brain is, the works, before I get to start to go down the default mode, I'm going to live my life a little bit on intention. So we go through some meditation. We go through some uh, 
my own morning affirmation script. And then, you know, I teach them all these choices. What do you want to have to say to yourself, whether it's a gratitude or whether it's, you know, visualizing your day. So um, we do that. Then pre-practice, they're already in a better mode. They get it. They understand where this whole thing is headed. But the day doesn't care about yesterday. I wake up today, I have to begin again. You know, what time is it? It's a new day. It's a new time. Today has nothing. My mind wants to go backwards. Today, I have to intentionally decide to be present. So what's the most important practice we've ever had in my life? This practice. What's Mm -hmm. the most important team I've ever coached? This team. What's the most? I've been with my wife for 34 years. What's the most important day in my entire relationship? Today. (laughs) Well, I had to learn all those things about being present. So I'm helping my athletes be very present, helping them become the better version of themselves, help them eliminate all the negative chatter that's going on in their mind that's, you know, I'm not good enough, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And they have freedom to be the best version of themselves when they're not cluttered about all the, the junk that, mm-hmm. is, that we don't see. So I think coaches are making a mistake that assuming just because you're here you're ready to go right and it's like that's not how it works right can they do everything you're wanting them to do absolutely but it looks like a hamster wheel yeah you know they're they're going they're sweating but they make no progress right the only way you can make progress on becoming the better version of yourself is to have a better relationship with who i want to be instead of who i was so when I ask a pl- an athlete to describe themselves, they're telling me who they were, which is basically the past. Mm-hmm. And yep. when, you, when you study all these elite high performers, they have a great relationship with who they want to be, mm. yeah. not who they were yesterday. Yeah. And that I- if you don't train it, you default. That, that it, and so I've gotten to the point where my athletes now know that if you default, you're actually not doing anything wrong. That's just called normal. Right. So we have a term called normalcy. You go, look, I just caught you being normal. No big deal. <laughs> you want to be a high-performance athlete? we got to check off completely different boxes than normalcy. Right. Yep. And, and, and that's – I mean, I'm amazed at my athletes at their age are doing things because I wasn't like that. I didn't <laughs> know these things back then. But um, it's available to everybody. I mean, this is not some sort of secret. Uh, it's just whenever you choose to, you know, I think get the information delivered to you and how to implement it. And it takes some work. You know, uh, it took me 20 plus years to, right. to be in the lab called the gymnasium to try to go, Ooh, how does this work? How do yeah. you, how do you not interfere with this and you over talk there and you got to let you got to know when to just say nothing and it's taken me a long time to know how to separate each aspect of the whole thing and what those young ladies need good deal yeah i mean that i think that was a perfect segment to where we want to go in the next episode when we start really diving into mindset and what it's going to take to change that default to negativity into a positive constantly. And I think this is one of the important parts and the reasons that we do this podcast is just exactly what you're saying. The information is out there. 
there have been people doing this stuff for a very long time, but it's it a lot of times is secured for the highly elite. Yeah. That this is very, you know, that this is diving deep into neurology and everything else. It takes a lot of money and a lot of research to comprehend. And it doesn't necessarily fall down into the normalcy of our society. And again, that's one of the reasons we do this is, is that, you know, in, in some circumstances, there's different things that we all can bring to the table that we've been exposed to, luckily. And, you know, our job as coaches is to disseminate that to everybody that we can. And, and I thought that was very enlightening. It was a fantastic conversation. Can't wait to do it again. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Thank you. Thank you.